Welcome to our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Chloe Rogis, and I'm on the communications team here at Rolling Hills. As we continue in our summer series, The Greatest Adventure, today you'll hear from Pastor Patrick as he teaches from Exodus 25 on how our God is a God of the details. He's in all things, big and small, and he's sovereign through everything. Now let's jump into today's message from Patrick. I've been enjoying that opening. That opening out in the woods and out in the wilderness on that hike. Who here likes to go camping? Have you enjoyed camping? You go camping sometimes or do you go glamping? You know, glamping is where basically, here we go, where you bring the hotel with you. You bring all those accommodations, all those luxuries. Or camping is where it's like tent, you're on the ground. Maybe you're in a shelter with some strangers out in a national park or state park. I enjoy going camping. I really don't want the electricity around. And I want to get as far away as possible from a car and definitely from my cell phone. I just want to get out there in God's creation. And uh, you may not, this may not be a surprise to you, but I was a Cub Scout. I was a Cub Scout growing up, and I like to go camping, and that is me with, uh, you can tell that I was not very photogenic. I'm still not very photogenic, but I'm holding a Pinewood Derby trophy at nine-year-old little Patrick there. My dad helped me build that Pinewood Derby winning car of our troop, and the only paint colors we had was white and black and gold, so of course, we painted it as a Vanderbilt car. So it was a Vanderbilt car, the Vanderbilt logo, right? Now, I don't have a picture of the regional trophy because... I had a Vandy car, so I got destroyed at regionals. I didn't even come in third place in regionals. The car failed me there in regionals. Sorry about that, Vandy fans. But uh, the only reason I really stuck with Cub Scouts and then Boy Scouts is I love to go camping. Love to go camping. The big moment of that was when I was 16 years old, went on a high adventure, a backpacking expedition or trip to Philmont's Boy Scout Ranch in the northern part of New Mexico. For 12 days, we went backpacking. And in 12 days, we had one shower over those 12 days and they actually told us to not even pack deodorant or use deodorant because that would attract bears I guarantee you our stench drove the bears away I didn't see a bear the entire 12 days that we're out there but the high point the literal high point of that hiking and that backpacking trip was hiking up Mount Baldy Mount Baldy is the highest mountain peak in that mountain range that it's a part of it is 12,600 12,500 feet above sea level. To give you a comparison of that, have you ever hiked up Clingman's Dome, Smoky Mountains? That is 6,600 feet. So Mount Baldy there in that northern part of New Mexico is about twice the height of Clingman's Dome. But thankfully, you don't have to use ropes. You can hike up it like you'll see in the next picture. You've got to be careful for that hike. There's a lot of loose rocks, and it's a pretty strenuous hike because in three and a half miles, you climb about almost 2,500 feet. You're just going up and up and up and up. And as a good Boy Scout, you better be prepared because at that height, weather can change like boom. Beautiful view on the next picture. I don't know how many miles you could see. You're up with the clouds, and the weather can just come in at a moment's notice from Mount Baldy. Well, we have been hiking. We have been on a great adventure with Moses and with Israel, and we are now in the moment where they are camped at Mount Sinai, having received the Ten Commandments, and they are living in tents. So the cool thing is, God says, my people are living in tents. I will come live in a tent with my people in the midst of them. And he is giving instructions of building a tabernacle. God's not going to be an absent monarch. He's going to be present with his people in a tent, in their midst. Which sounds wonderful to say God's going to dwell with his people. But remember what they're looking at. 
They're looking at Mount Sinai, and here's an artist rendering of what would have been taking place at that moment with our next picture. They are camped in their tent. They're looking up at Mount Sinai, and God has shown up on this mountain, and it is burning. It is on fire, and there's lightning, and there's trumpets sounding, and the entire mountain is shaking, and they had to put a boundary around it, lest the people come too close and they die if they got too close to God's presence. Only Moses could venture up there but very carefully could not look at God or he would die and God is now saying I'm coming off this mountain I'm gonna be in the middle of my people that is actually pretty terrifying if you think about it if somebody said hey we're gonna build a nuclear power plant on Percy Priest Lake I'd be terrified and they better follow the plans perfectly Thankfully, God gave plans on how to build the tabernacle. The root word for tabernacle means to dwell, to remain, to inhabit. This tenting, this tabernacling with his people. God is going to dwell, to remain, to inhabit in the midst of his people. God is going to be in the midst of the people, and God gave all of the details of that. All Israel had to do uh, was follow these plans very closely. And what's amazing is by God being in the midst of the, of the people, the tabernacle is also going to be a piece of heaven on earth. It's going to be a piece of heaven on earth. The materials used to build the tabernacle are heavenly. I mean, silver and bronze and pure gold was used. Expensive yarns and, and dyed, uh, dyed leathers used and expensive stones and all this just beauty and all this extravagance going into the tent, the tabernacle, because heaven is coming to earth because this is God's throne room. God's showing up. God's going to be in the middle of his people. The tabernacle reveals God who is holy, God who is present. God is holy and God is present, and we learn that from the tabernacle. It is the location for God to dwell with his people, to be in the middle of them, for his holy presence, for that awesome, overwhelming fire from the mountain, and his holiness, and yet his presence to be in the middle of his people. They're going to follow these plans. We're going to read about it here in Exodus chapter 25, beginning with verse 8. If you haven't already found that, you can do that on your device or our app or the Bible you hopefully have. We have you in Bibles in the back, please grab one right now if you don't have one or on your way out. I'll be reading from the NIV uh, translation of this. Exodus 25, beginning with verse 8. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Have them make an ark of Achaia wood, two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold, both inside and out, and make a gold molding around it. Cast four rings for it and fasten them to its four feet, with two rings on one side and two rings on the other. Then make poles of acacia wood. Overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark to carry it. The poles are to remain in the rings of this ark. They are not to be removed. Then put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law, which I will give you. God is with 
his people. Here's the beginning of those plans of how they're going to accomplish that. And actually, 16 of the remaining chapters is all about the tabernacle. A third of Exodus is about building of this tabernacle for this huge moment when heaven comes to earth and God is going to be with his people. God is going to be with his people. God's holiness describes his goodness. It's his power. They've seen that holiness. They've seen that power on that mountain, and now he's coming as this fire, as this purity, as this power, as the creator is going to show up in their midst. And the word of God says, uh, ex, uh, Moses sang this song of praise about God in Exodus fifteen eleven. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is no one. There are no other gods. They're imaginary or they're demonic. There's only one God, only one, this God. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, that radiance, that awesome power, that overwhelming light, awesome in glory, his greatness and his goodness displays, working wonders. They had seen that. They had seen the holiness and the glory and the wonders of the one true God when they were brought out of slavery from Egypt by God's ten plagues, when God judged all of the false fake gods of the Egyptians. When they crossed on dry ground, the Red Sea and the Egyptian army was destroyed. He's providing for them in the desert, leading them to, and now God has shown up mightily on the mountain where God had met earlier with Moses and called him out of the burning bush. Now we have a burning mountain when God shows up. God is holy, then says, I will dwell among them. I will dwell among them. I'm so grateful for that. That God says he's not going to be high and holy and distant up and far off. He's present among his people. Present among them. He's going to show up like never before. And he's going to be right in the middle of their community. He's going to tent. He's going to camp dwell, inhabit, right, his presence right in the middle of them. We have a picture, a drawing of the tabernacle hill we'll leave up for a moment here. The tabernacle actually would have fit here in our auditorium. It wasn't huge. It's 675 square feet. It is uh, 15 feet high, 15 feet wide, 45 feet long, and it's divided. You can see a third of it with that curtain. That, the furthest back one, that is the most holy place. That's where we'll get to in a moment the Ark of the Covenant is. That is the footstool for God's throne. That is what God was over in the midst of his people. And you could only go in there, only one person, the high priest, only one day, one time of the year, but had to be super careful, could actually go into God's presence lest that person die going into God's presence. And then the holy place is that larger section where you see the altar for the incense and the the golden lampstand, and then you have the table of presence with the, the 12 loaves on there, the 12 pieces of bread, and that is where the priests would do their daily duty in the worshiping and in the prayers and that and attend the candle and the bread there. And then we have the, t the tabernacle courtyard. You get a little bit further and further and further from the presence of God, his throne room, when you have here the tabernacle courtyard where you have a basin for ritualistic cleansing and a bronze altar for offering up the sacrifices, and that's where the people go and worship, to give their sacrifices, to give their offerings, to meet with the priests who are ministering on their behalf and serving God. But yet, nobody except one time a year could enter into God's presence, God in the midst of his people. The tabernacle, later the temple, same kind of design but bigger. The temple is built, and it points to the greater temple, 
It points to the greater temple that was to come. In John 1.14, when we read this, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And that right there in your sermon outline, that's a blank. Write it in, underline it in your Bible, get to that, made his dwelling. The word, the son of God, became flesh as Jesus of Nazareth, God and man together, and made his, that dwelling among us, that word right there, that means tabernacled. Jesus tabernacled among us. God tabernacled among his people in a greater way through Jesus, through Jesus. It's amazing when he did this. Uh, Jesus displayed the glory of God. Jesus is God who tabernacled with others and displayed God's holiness and God's presence because Jesus is God in flesh. He is God tabernacling, putting on human flesh, being Jesus of Nazareth, born of that. And he's displaying God's holiness. He's displaying God's presence. He's displaying God's holiness by restoring that, uh, healing that which was broken by his work, by his mighty working power of God through him, the holiness of God. He's restoring. He is raising the dead. He is healing the blind. He is curing the sick. Leprosy, he even touches, and that person becomes clean. He doesn't become unclean at that moment. He is showing God's power and bringing order, recreating, bringing to order that which was broken by our sin and our rebellion from God. He displays God's presence. He is the voice of God. He speaks God's words. He prays. He talks to his Father on our behalf. He forgives sin. And ultimately, he goes forward to seek and to save the lost who are far from God to bring us to God. Jesus did that. Jesus did that. When we read here in verse 10, remember that God said, Make me a tabernacle. Make me an altar. I want a tent among my people but the first instructions are not for the tent. It's not for the tabernacle. It's for why does he start with the Ark of the Covenant? That is the first instructions given because the Ark of the Covenant is his footstool. That is what God's going to be over. And the Ark of the Covenant is where heaven meets earth. It's the location for heaven and earth to meet and God's footstool for the throne. And what is so important about this, the Ark of the Covenant it's really important. It is just a small little box, um, a couple of feet by a couple of feet. And remember, it carried the Ten Commandments, literally written by God. God's autograph, the Ten Commandments, are placed in there. It could never be touched. It has to be carried by poles by the priests. The people would follow the priests, but ultimately follow the footstool of God wherever they were going. It would accompany them into battle. It helped them in the crossing of the, Jer of the Jordan River at the Battle of Jericho. Later on, just a quick little summary, it was like captured by the Philistines. David got it back, and he comes, and he's celebrating it, bringing it back to Jerusalem, set it up in a tabernacle there. His son Solomon builds a temple. The Ark of the Covenant is in there, and then we're not exactly sure what happened to it because in 586 B.C., the Babylonians destroyed. Judgment came upon God's showcase people because they were not his showcase people. At that moment, Babylonians destroyed the temple. The Ark's gone. We don't hear about it later on in that section. Some say... Well, maybe they smuggled it out ahead of time. Maybe it was destroyed. There are people to this day in Ethiopia who say the Ark of the Covenant is in a chapel 
they have built. And one guy like attends it and is in there for all of his life. So the Ark of the Covenant was lost. Have you ever watched documentaries, maybe watched a YouTube thing about it? Have you ever watched anything like Bible mysteries in search of the Ark of the Covenant? Have you ever gotten into that like Noah's Ark, now maybe Ark of the Covenant and searching for that? I've seen some of this before. I hope you've seen this really incredible documentary, 1981 documentary about searching for the Ark of the Covenant. It chronicles the search by Dr. Henry Walton Jones Jr. in 1981, who's in search for the Ark of the Covenant, and he found it. He's also known as who? Indiana Jones. Dr. Jones found the Ark of the Covenant, right? And he lifts it up, and he finds it by his wits and his bullwhip and his gun, and he figures out the puzzle and the mystery, and they find it. They find the Ark of the Covenant, but as they are lifting it out with our next picture, they're carrying it up. It is unfortunately stolen by the Nazis. As they get it out from this underground layer, the Nazis take it from them, but Indiana Jones, he does not give up. Dr. Jones fights those Nazis with his fists, with his guns, with his bullets, with his whips, but ultimately God shows up and God fights and God destroys the Nazis who were playing dress up. Really cool documentary. <laughs> so, you know, I wish that was true. I wish that was true. And you know what? We now know where the Ark of the Covenant is, right? It's in the government's top hands, the top hands of the government. It's in this warehouse. It's in that warehouse. And as a, as a kid, when I would watch that, I'd be like, oh, what, how, many, how many aisles? I literally thought that was true as a kid. And I wanted to crowbar and go find the Ark of the Covenant. If only that was true. But we, we don't know. But the cool thing is what we're going to focus on with the Ark of the Covenant at this next section is that the Ark of the Covenant, although that incredible movie, it's one of my favorites, it displays like the power coming out of it. Ooh, it doesn't go well for the Nazis at that moment. It's not, a, it's not a magic box. It wasn't a magic box, but it had to be revered, and it was holy. It was set apart because it's God's footstool, and God said he was going to dwell over that. So they had to revere that and be very careful with that, but uh, we don't need it anymore, thankfully. So, but here's what's really important for this next section. I'm glad that the Ark had a covering. The ark had a covering because the tabernacle and the ark reveals God's mercy through atonement. Reveals God's mercy through atonement. Exactly. Amen with that. God, in God's grace, he said, prepare a covering. Your, your word may say a mercy seat because without that covering, without that mercy seat, God above the footstool for his throne, what is he looking at? The Ten Commandments. And he's looking at his people who are continuously breaking and not upholding their part of the bargain of their covenant. They're destroying, they're making a mockery of God's word that he wrote. So thank the Lord he provide a covering of atonement. Let's read about that in verses 17 through 21. Make an atonement cover. This is where you may see seat of mercy or mercy seat. Make an atonement cover of pure gold. Two and a half cubits long and a cubit and a half wide, and make two cherubim out of hammer gold at the ends of the cover. Make one cherub on one end and the second cherub on the other. Make the cherubim of one piece with the cover at the two ends. The cherubim are to have their wings spread upward, overshadowing the cover with them. The cherubim are to face each other, looking toward the cover. Place the cover on top of the ark and put in the ark the tablets of the covenant law that I will give you. I have, I have like a picture 
of an artist's rendering of what the Ark of the Covenant could have looked like here with the Ten Commandments in that the cherubim there. The cherubim are mentioned 90 times in the Old Testament. Attendants of God's throne room, they're protectors of that which is sacred. They, in Genesis 3, make their first appearance, and they are protecting the tree of life. So Adam and Eve and fallen man don't access that. And here they are properly displayed as showing their reverence in their awe and bowing in submission before God who is above them. And not looking up at God, but looking down as they are so close to God's presence. This atonement cover, this mercy seat, it is very important and it was used on the day of atonement. Remember I mentioned only one time a year would the high priest enter and get close to the Ark of the Covenant on the Day of Atonement. That's when the atonement cover or the mercy seat, that covering was used. What the high priest would do after being very carefully cleansing himself, all that, he would sacrifice a bull, sprinkle blood of the bull on that mercy seat or on that cover for the sins of the priesthood. And then sacrifice a goat for the sins of Israel, sprinkle the blood on that. And you know why? Because God, who is over that, when he looks down, He doesn't see the broken commandments. He sees the atonement. He sees the mercy. He sees that the sacrifice, he sees that which he provided so that his his wrath and his justice won't break out on his people. He satisfies what he requires through that. And that all points and points and points to this here. But first of all, I want us to understand the word mercy and the word atonement. Mercy means this. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Mercy's not getting what we deserve. Let's say you're in the courtroom and you're guilty of some serious charge. and You cry out to the judge, have mercy on me. What you're saying is, I'm guilty. Don't throw the book at me, please. Don't do such a severe fine or, or make me serve a lot of time. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. Before we met Jesus, before we trusted in Jesus, what were we guilty of? We were guilty of being like our own little rulers or tyrants on God's creation we were rebelling, we were worshiping self or other people or other things or other things and materials. We're saying no to God and yes to self. We were committing treason, committing treason. What does treason deserve? Death. Treason deserves absolutely death. That's what we deserve. But in God's mercy, he provided for atonement. Atonement, or if you can literally see it in the word, at one meant. Atonement, at one meant estranged parties, parties, us and God, who are far away from one another, have become one, all by the grace of God, all by the mercy of God. Estranged parties have become one. We were separated from God, deserving of death, deserving to be shut out of his kingdom, away from his presence. Uh, Sin severed our relationship with God. We were not representing God. We were representing ourselves or other things. And the word of God says, without the shedding of blood, There is no forgiveness. Now, God's not bloodthirsty. It's not like God's just desiring blood or whatever like that because blood is pointing to death. It points to sin. Sin equals death. Sin equals destruction. But in God's mercy through the atonement, he says, you can die for your sins. He said to Israel, you can die for your sins or a substitute can temporarily in your place. So a whole and a worthy sacrificial animal of course, who had done no wrong, couldn't do any wrong, would die in the guilty sinner's place. And this points to the atonement that we receive from the greatest sacrifice, Jesus. 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body 
on the cross. Jesus, God's only son, who had never done anything wrong, who always had a perfect, right relationship with others, loved others, healed others, spoke God's word. He bore our rebellion, our sin, took our guilt, was our substitutionary sacrifice, took it in his body on the cross, and he died. He paid our punishment. He died for our rebellion so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness for truly, beloved, by his wounds. You have been healed, restored, made whole, right relationship with God all because of Jesus. Our atonement cover is the cross. Our atonement, the cross is where we find mercy. The cross is where God's love is displayed. The cross is where God's justice and his holiness is satisfied. God provided what God required through Jesus. You see, in God's grace, he satisfied what he required. Jesus lived for you, died for you, rose for you. Atonement by trusting in Jesus and no longer self or anybody else. And the whole reason they did this, it says that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds. You have been healed. This healing is a right relation with God and restored. Sin no longer having power, no longer guilty. You are declared innocent, no longer needing to be punished at all. And you are labeled to live for righteousness because the righteous one comes and lives in you. You are now the temple of God. You are now the tabernacle of God. And this all leads to worship. It leads to worship. The tabernacle, you see, is a sacred space for worship. Sacred space for worship right in the middle of them. God is going to be in this tabernacle above the footstool of his throne, the Ark of the Covenant. And it's going to lead to focusing on God and worshiping God. In verse 22, it says, There above the cover, between the two cherubim that are over the Ark, of the covenant law, I will meet with you and give you all my commands for the Israelites. Because of Jesus, God no longer dwells above the atonement cover of the Ark of the Covenant. Because of Jesus, God dwells in us. We are the holy nation. We are the kingdom of priests. You are where God dwells, where God inhabits, where God tabernacles, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit through Jesus. You are the most holy place. God living in each and every one of you, beloved. You are God's sacred space set apart for worship. You are now the place for worship, set apart for worship. You are sacred, the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. Um, you are now a right, right representative of God. You, you reflect Jesus to the world. In 1 Corinthians six nineteen through 20, Paul is writing this to a church that was actually struggling with sexual immorality. And this is what he has to say, say to them in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you receive from God? You are not your own. You are not your own. Uh, you were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. That price was incredible. 
Jesus living for us, Jesus dying for us. Paul is saying, you know, to, to go into sexual sin, like, are you crazy? Like, no, you do not profane that which is sacred. You are the very presence of God. God lives within you. And it, but it does not just apply to sexual sins. It's any sin, any rebellion, anything profane, anything outside of God's will. We don't do that. We don't do that because God lives within us and God helps us die to sin and live to righteousness. To engage in sin is to grieve the Holy Spirit. This also teaches us here that your body, being the temple of the Holy Spirit, this means that your physical body is worthy of not being, you don't need to neglect your body, abuse your body, harm your body in any way, because God lives within you. God lives within you. You are far more valuable than bronze or silver or gold. The Ark of the Covenant, yeah, it was covered with gold. Guess what? You're covered in the righteousness of Jesus. Far more valuable than God. You are covered in the righteousness of Jesus. And also, you need, you need to treat, care for, love, honor your body. Be careful what you do with your body, but also don't worship your body. We have to kind of beware the two extremes of neglecting or harming your body or worshiping your body. We have to do neither one of those. And individually, yes, we are temples of the Holy Spirit. So therefore, when we unite together, like all these little temples come together, we make a big temple. Little lights of Jesus, little lights of God, when we come together, we shine a bright light. That's why corporate worship, what we are doing here on the Lord's Day, is a non-negotiable priority. Corporate worship is, should be and is a non-negotiable priority. We should not be questioning and thinking to ourselves like, well, are we going to church in the morning? Am I going to go to worship in the morning? Well, it depends on if I had a good night's sleep or if I don't have too much to do or if I got some errands to run or I got to really clean up the house. This is a non-negotiable priority. The Word of God says this, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Uh, when we come together as a kingdom of priests, as all these little temples of God, we honor God's name, we worship our Savior in song, we speak to God through prayer, and we hear his word go out. And God talks to us through his word, not through me, through his word. We come together to experience the truth that God dwells in us, that God dwells in every believer. Immediately after being saved, our first response is worship. Worship individually, but then in a greater way, worship corporately. What we do here stokes the fire and ignites us for week-long worship, Monday through Saturday. And then we come together in a greater way for worship, and it encourages for the week ahead. God's Word says this, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. So you see the early church was struggling as well with not gathering together on a Sunday morning in worship, the day of the Lord's day, the day that Jesus rose from the dead. But guess what? When they were struggling with not getting together, that was the first day of the week. It was a work day. It was a day where other people were getting busy and getting their work started for the day, and the Christians were to gather on the first day of the week and worship as a priority, and he's encouraging them, gather together, gather together. Don't be like others who are in the habit of not meeting together. But in fact, we encourage one another, and we encourage one another as we see the day approaching of Jesus' return. He will come back someday. 
God had tabernacled with his people in a tent, then a temple, and then in Jesus. Now God dwells, inhabits, remains in us when we trust in Jesus. All of us, all of us are tabernacles of Jesus. But when we gather together in this room for worship, I know I've experienced it especially in song. I've experienced it when I, when I think we can kind of hug each other again and shake hands and encourage and love on one another. When I've heard God's word go forth, what we are experiencing here is an actual reality. It's a foretaste of that which is to come. We experience heaven on earth when we gather together for worship because God is present. God is here among us, within us, and is inhabited and lifted up on our song and our praise and his word and our prayers. This is where we experience heaven on earth when we gather together. Worship is a place. This is a sacred time set aside for that. We get to experience that which will be someday right now a foretaste and an example. We want others to experience that through Jesus. And in closing, I just invite you uh, to close, close your eyes, please. Just close your eyes and literally visualize that which will be someday. As I'm going to be reading what we're heading to and what we are an example of, a foretaste of what will be someday. As we read what we will all witness one day because of Jesus. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people he will dwell with them they will be his god and and god himself will be with them as their god he will wipe away every tear from their eyes there will be no more death or mourning, or crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Lord God, hasten the day when this will be a reality when you will make all things new. We believe and we trust that is what we're heading to. That is what we are example together in our individual lives and especially when we come together in corporate worship of you making all things new. You restoring, you healing that which was lost and now restored to you through Jesus Christ, Lord. Help us to worship you as we lead this place and as we gather together to make you famous, to make the name of Jesus famous, to draw others out of darkness into the incredible light, Lord. Thank you for being with us. Never, ever, please, Lord, take your spirit from us, but may we experience you in a very real and mighty way here in worship. And as we head out into our fields and our areas of ministry, may we continue to seek and to save the lost, to make you known, to bring healing to the nations all through Jesus. It's in Jesus of Nazareth.
that we pray. Amen. We are now going to take our offering, and our, our ushers will be going around. Thank you. Thank you for giving through the work of Rolling Hills Community Church. This is also that time with that connection card. I hope you filled one out. Any of our guests, any prayer requests, they're going to go into those baskets as they come around after I pray for that. Uh, your support, your support of the ministry through Rolling Hills Community Church, we're, it's really cool. We're about to open in August a learning center. We have a learning center we're opening just down this hallway. It's amazing in our preschool area. You're a part of that. Your part to help that get going and to minister to the preschoolers and the parents that will be coming here and entrusting the care of their children. In fact, if you would like to work where you worship, if you know of anyone who's looking for a very part-time job, we're hiring teachers for our learning center on Mondays and Wednesdays. Mondays and Wednesdays, if you want to spread that word. But let's just pray over our offering. Lord God, thank you for everything that you bless us with. Everything that we have is a gift of yours. The very breath that we're breathing right now, Lord, may it just be about worshiping and praising you. All the time you've given to us, Lord, it, it is your time. May we just use it according to your will. And now which we're putting through the baskets here, through the work of the ministry of Rolling Hills Community Church, we ask that you would multiply its effectiveness, that you would continue to grow your kingdom on earth as a foretaste, as a showing of what will be someday when you make all things new. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, Rolling Hills Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook and stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.